Chapter 11 of Tarzan and the Golden Lion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josh Herring of Abingdon, Virginia. Tarzan and the Golden Lion by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 11. Strange Incense Burns. As Tarzan carried the dead Bolgani from the village of the Gomangani, he set his steps in the direction of the building he had seen from the rim of the valley, the curiosity of the man overcoming the natural caution of the beast. He was traveling upwind, and the odors wafted down to his nostrils told him that he was approaching the habitat of the Bolgani. Intermingled with the scent spore of the gorilla men was that of the Gomangani, and the odor of cooked food, and the suggestion of a heavily sweet scent, which the ape-man could connect only with burning incense, though it seemed impossible that such a fragrance could emanate from the dwellings of the Bolgani. Perhaps it came from the great edifice he had seen, a building which must have been constructed by human beings, and in which human beings might still dwell, though never among the multitudinous odors that assailed his nostrils did he once catch the faintest suggestion of the man's scent of whites. When he perceived from the increasing strength of their odor that he was approaching close to the Bolgani, Tarzan took to the trees with his burden, that he might thus stand a better chance of avoiding discovery, and presently, through the foliage ahead, he saw a lofty wall, and beyond, the outlines of the weird architecture of a strange and mysterious pile, outlines that suggested a building of another world, so unearthly were they. And from beyond the wall came the odor of the Bolgani and the fragrance of the incense, intermingled with the scent spore of Numa, the lion. The jungle was cleared away for fifty feet outside the wall surrounding the building, so that there was no tree overhanging the wall, but Tarzan approached as closely as he could, while still remaining reasonably well concealed by the foliage. He had chosen a point at a sufficient height above the ground to permit him to see over the top of the wall. The building within the enclosure was of great size, its different parts appearing to have been constructed at various periods, and each with utter disregard to uniformity, resulting in a conglomeration of connecting buildings and towers, no two of which were alike, though the whole presented a rather pleasing, if somewhat bizarre, appearance. The building stood upon an artificial elevation about ten feet high, surrounded by a retaining wall of granite, a wide staircase leading to the ground level below. About the building were shrubbery and trees, some of the latter appearing to be of great antiquity, while one enormous tower was almost entirely covered by ivy. By far the most remarkable feature of the building, however, lay in its rich and barbaric ornamentation. Set into the polished granite of which it was composed was an intricate mosaic of gold and diamonds, glittering stones and countless thousands scintillated from facades, minarets, domes, and towers. The enclosure, which comprised some fifteen or twenty acres, was occupied for the most part by the building. The terrace upon which it stood was devoted to walks, flowers, shrubs, and ornamental trees, while that part of the area below, which was within the range of Tarzan's vision, seemed to be given over to the raising of garden truck. In the garden and upon the terrace were naked blacks, such as he had seen in the village where he had left law. There were both men and women, and these were occupied with the care of growing things within the enclosure. Among them were several of the gorilla-like creatures such as Tarzan had slain in the village, but these performed no labor, devoting themselves rather, it seemed, to directing the work of the blacks, toward whom their manner was haughty and domineering, sometimes even brutal. These gorilla men were trapped in rich ornaments, similar to those upon the body which now rested in a crotch of the tree behind the ape-man. As Tarzan watched with interest the scene below him, two Bolgani emerged from the main entrance, a huge portal, some thirty feet in width and perhaps fifteen feet high. The two wore headbands, supporting tall, white feathers. As they emerged, they took post on either side of the entrance, and cupping their hands before their mouths, gave voice to a series of shrill cries that bore a marked resemblance to trumpet calls. Immediately the blacks ceased work, and hastened to the foot of the stairs, descending from the terrace to the garden. Here they formed lines on either side of the stairway, and similarly, the Bolgani formed two lines upon the terrace from the main portal to the stairway, forming a living aisle from one to the other. 
Presently, from the interior of the building came other trumpet-like calls, and a moment later Tarzan saw the head of a procession emerging. First came four Bolgani abreast, each bedecked with an ornate feather headdress, and each carrying a huge bludgeon erect before him. Behind these came two trumpeteers, and twenty feet behind the trumpeteers paced a huge, black-maned lion, held in leash by four sturdy blacks, two upon either side, holding what appeared to be golden chains that ran to a scintillant diamond collar about the beast's neck. Behind the lion marched twenty more Bolgani, four abreast. These carried spears, but whether they were for the purpose of protecting the lion from the people, or the people from the lion, Tarzan was at a loss to know. The attitude of the Bolgani lining either side of the way between the portal and the stairway indicated extreme deference, for they bent their bodies from their waists in a profound bow while Numa was passing between their lines. When the beast reached the top of the stairway, the procession halted, and immediately the Golmangani ranged below prostrated themselves and placed their foreheads on the ground. Numa, who was evidently an old lion, stood with lordly mien, surveying the prostrate humans before him. His evil eyes glared glassily, the while he bared his tusks in a savage grimace, and from his deep lungs rumbled forth an ominous roar, at the sound of which the Gomangani trembled in unfeigned terror. The ape-man knit his brows in thought. Never before had he been called upon to witness so remarkable a scene of the abasement of man before a beast. Presently the procession continued upon its way, descending the staircase and turning to the right along a path through the garden, and when it had passed them, the Gomangani and Bolgani arose and resumed their interrupted duties. Tarzan remained in concealment, watching them, trying to discover some explanation for the strange paradoxical conditions that he had witnessed. The lion, with his retinue, had turned the far corner of the palace and disappeared from sight. What was he to these people, to these strange creatures? What did he represent? Why this topsy-turvy arrangement of species? Here man ranked lower than the half-beast, and above all, from the deference that had been accorded him, stood a true beast, a savage carnivore. He had been occupied with his thoughts and his observations for some fifteen minutes following the disappearance of Numa around the eastern end of the palace, when his attention was attracted to the opposite end of the structure by the sound of other shrill trumpet calls. Turning his eyes in that direction, he saw the procession emerging again into view, and proceeding toward the staircase down which they had entered the garden. Immediately, the notes of the shrill call sounded upon their ears. The Gomangani and the Bolgani resumed their original positions from below the foot of the staircase to the entrance of the palace, and once again was homage paid to Numa as he made his triumphal entry into the building. Tarzan of the Apes ran his fingers through his mass of tussled hair, but finally he was forced to shake his head in defeat. He could find no explanation whatsoever for all that he had witnessed. His curiosity, however, was so keenly piqued that he determined to investigate the palace and surrounding grounds further before continuing on his way in search of a trail out of the valley. Leaving the body of Bolgani where he had cached it, he started slowly to circle the building, that he might examine it from all sides, from the concealing foliage of the surrounding forest. He found the architecture equally unique upon all sides, and that the garden extended entirely around the building, though a portion of the south side of the palace was given over to corrals and pens in which were kept numerous goats and a considerable flock of chickens. Upon this side also were several hundred swinging beehive huts, such as he had seen in the native village of the Gomangani. These he took to be the quarters of all the black slaves, who performed all the arduous and menial labor connected with the palace. The lofty granite wall which surrounded the entire enclosure was pierced by but a single gate, which opened opposite the east end of the palace. This gate was large and of massive construction, appearing to have been built to withstand the assault of numerous and well-armed forces. So strong did it appear that the ape-man could not but harbor the opinion that it had been constructed to protect the interior against forces equipped with heavy battering rams. That such a force had ever existed within the vicinity in historic times seemed most unlikely, and Tarzan conjectured, therefore, that the wall and gate were of almost unthinkable antiquity, 
dating, doubtless, from the forgotten age of the Atlanteans, and constructed, perhaps, to protect the builders of the Palace of Diamonds from the well-armed forces that had come from Atlantis to work the gold mines of Opar and to colonize Central Africa. While the wall, the gate, and the palace itself suggested in many ways almost unbelievable age, yet they were in such an excellent state of repair that it was evident that they were still inhabited by rational and intelligent creatures. While upon the south side Tarzan had seen a new tower in process of construction, where a number of blacks working under the direction of Bolgani were cutting and shaping granite blocks and putting them in place. Tarzan had halted in a tree near the east gate to watch the life passing in and out of the palace grounds beneath the ancient portal, and as he watched, a long cavalcade of powerful Gomangani emerged from the forest and entered the enclosure. Swung in hides between two poles, this party was carrying rough-hewn blocks of granite, four men to a block. Two or three Bolgani accompanied the long line of carriers, which was preceded and followed by a detachment of black warriors, armed with battle-axes and spears. The demeanor and attitude of the black porters, as well as of the Bolgani, suggested to the eight men nothing more nor less than a caravan of donkeys, plodding their stupid way to the behest of their drivers. If one lagged, he was prodded with the point of a spear, or struck with its haft. There was no greater brutality shown than in the ordinary handling of beasts of burden the world around, nor in the demeanor of the blacks was there any more indication of objection or revolt than you see depicted upon the faces of a long line of burden-bearing mules. To all intents and purposes they were dumb-driven cattle. Slowly they filed through the gateway and disappeared from sight. A few moments later, another party came out of the forest and passed into the palace grounds. This consisted of fully fifty armed Bulgani and twice as many black warriors with spears and axes. Entirely surrounded by these armed creatures were four brawny porters carrying a small litter, upon which was fastened an ornate chest about two feet wide by four feet long, with a depth of approximately two feet. The chest itself was of some dark weather-worn wood, and was reinforced by bands and corners of what appeared to be virgin gold, in which were set many diamonds. What the chest contained Tarzan could not, of course, conceive but that it was considered of great value was evidenced by the precautions for safety with which it had been surrounded. The chest was borne directly into the huge, ivy-covered tower at the northeast corner of the palace. The entrance to which Tarzan now first observed was secured by doors as large and heavy as the east gate itself. At the first opportunity that he could seize to accomplish it undiscovered, Tarzan swung across the jungle trail and continued through the trees to the one in which he had left the body of Bolgani. Throwing this across his shoulder, he returned to the point close above the trail near the east gate, and seizing upon a moment when there was a lull in traffic, he hurled the body as close to the portal as possible. Now, thought the ape-man, let them guess who slew their fellow if they can. Making his way toward the southeast, Tarzan approached the mountains which lie back of the valley of the Palace of Diamonds. He had often to make detours to avoid native villages, and to keep out of sight of the numerous parties of Bolgani that seemed to be moving in all directions through the forest. Late in the afternoon, he came out of the hills into full view of the mountains beyond. Rough, granite hills they were, whose precipitous peaks arose far above the timberline. Directly before him, a well-marked trail led into a canyon, which he could see wound far upward toward the summit. This, then, would be as good a place to commence his investigations as another. And so, seeing that the coast was clear, the ape-man descended from the trees, and taking advantage of the underbrush bordering the trail, he made his way silently, yet swiftly, into the hills. For the most part, he was compelled to worm his way through thickets, for the trail was in constant use by Gomangani and Bolgani parties passing up it empty-handed and returning, bearing blocks of granite. As he advanced more deeply into the hills, the heavy underbrush gave way to a lighter growth of scrub, through which he could pass with far greater ease, though with considerable more risk of discovery. However, the instinct of the beast that dominated Tarzan's jungle craft permitted him to find cover where another would have been in full view of every enemy. Halfway up the mountain, the trail passed through a narrow gorge, not more than twenty feet wide, 
and eroded from solid granite cliffs. Here there was no concealment whatsoever, and the ape-man realized that to enter it would mean almost immediate discovery. Glancing about, he saw that by making a slight detour he could reach the summit of the gorge where, amid tumbled granite boulders and stunted trees and shrubs, he knew that he could find sufficient concealment and perhaps a plainer view of the trail beyond. Nor was he mistaken, for, when he had reached the vantage point far above the trail, he saw ahead an open pocket in the mountain, the cliffs surrounding which were honeycombed with numerous openings which, it seemed to Tarzan, could be naught else than the mouths of tunnels. Rough wooden ladders reached to some of them, closer to the base of the cliffs, while from others knotted ropes dangled to the ground below. Out of these tunnels emerged men carrying little sacks of earth, which they dumped in a common pile beside a rivulet which ran through the gorge. Here other blacks, supervised by Bolgani, were engaged in washing the dirt, but what they hoped to find or what they did find Tarzan could not guess. Along one side of the rocky basin, many other blacks were engaged in quarrying the granite from the cliffs, which had been cut away through similar operations into a series of terraces running from the floor of the basin to the summit of the cliff. Here naked blacks toiled with primitive tools under the supervision of savage Bolgani. The activities of the quarrymen were obvious enough, but what others were bringing from the mouths of the tunnels Tarzan could not be positive, though the natural assumption was that it was gold. Where, then, did they obtain their diamonds? Certainly not from these solid granite cliffs. A few minutes' observation convinced Tarzan that the trail he had followed from the forest ended in this little cul-de-sac, and so he sought a way upward and around it, in search of a pass across the range. The balance of that day, and nearly all the next, he devoted to his efforts in this direction, only in the end to be forced to admit that there was no egress from the valley upon this side. To points far above the timberline he made his way, but there, always, he came face to face with sheer, perpendicular cliffs of granite towering high above him, upon the face of which not even the ape-man could find foothold. Along the southern and eastern sides of the basin he carried his investigation, but with similar disappointing results, and then at last he turned his steps back toward the forest with the intention of seeking a way out through the valley of Opar with La, after darkness had fallen. The sun had just risen when Tarzan arrived at the native village in which he had left La, and no sooner did his eyes rest upon it than he became apprehensive that something was amiss, for not only was the gate wide open, but there was no sign of life within the palisade, nor was there any movement of the swinging huts that would indicate that they were occupied. Always wary of ambush, Tarzan reconnoitred carefully before descending into the village. To his trained observation, it became evident that the village had been deserted for at least twenty-four hours. Running to the hut in which Law had been hidden, he hastily ascended the rope and examined the interior. It was vacant, nor was there any sign of the high priestess. Descending to the ground, the ape-man started to make a thorough investigation of the village in search of clues to the fate of its inhabitants and of Law. He had examined the interiors of several huts when his keen eyes noted a slight movement of one of the swinging cage-like habitations some distance from him. Quickly he crossed the intervening space, and as he approached the hut he saw no rope trailed from its doorway. Halting beneath, Tarzan raised his face to the aperture, through which nothing but the roof of the hut was visible. Gomangani, he cried. It is I, Tarzan of the Apes. Come to the opening and tell me what has become of your fellows and of my mate, whom I left here under the protection of your warriors. There was no answer, and Tarzan called, for he was positive that someone was hiding in the hut. Come down, he called again or I will come up after you. Still there was no reply. A grim smile touched the ape-man's lips as he drew his hunting knife from its sheath and placed it between his teeth, and then, with a cat-like spring, leaped for the opening, and catching its sides, drew his body up into the interior of the hut. If he had expected opposition, he was met with none, nor in the dimly lighted interior could he at first distinguish any presence, though, when his eyes became accustomed to the semi-darkness, he descried a bundle of leaves and grasses lying against the opposite wall of the structure, 
Crossing to these, he tore them aside, revealing the huddled form of a terrified woman. Seizing her by the shoulder, he drew her to a sitting position. "'What has happened?' he demanded. "'Where are the villagers? Where is my mate?' "'Do not kill me! Do not kill me!' she cried. "'It was not I! It was not my fault!' "'I do not intend to kill you,' replied Tarzan. "'Tell me the truth, and you shall be safe.' "'The Bogani have taken them away!' cried the woman. "'They came when the sun was low upon the day that you arrived, "'and they were very angry, for they had found the body of their fellow "'outside the gate of the Palace of Diamonds. "'They knew that he had come here to our village, "'and no one had seen him alive since he had departed from the palace. "'They came then, and threatened and tortured our people, "'until at last the warriors told them all. "'I hid. I do not know why they did not find me. "'But at last they went, taking all the others with them. "'Taking your mate, too. They will never come back.' "'You think the Bulgani will kill them?' asked Tarzan. Yes, she replied. They kill all who displease them. Alone now, and relieved of the responsibility of law, Tarzan might easily make his way by night through the valley of Opar and to safety beyond the barrier, but perhaps such a thought never entered his head. Gratitude and loyalty were marked characteristics of the ape-man. Law had saved him from the fanaticism and intrigue of her people. She had saved him at a cost of all that was most dear to her, power and position, peace and safety. She had jeopardized her life for him, and become an exile from her own country. The mere fact that the Bolgani had taken her with the possible intention of slaying her was not sufficient for the ape-man. He must know whether or not she lived, and if she lived he must devote his every energy to winning her release and her eventual escape from the dangers of this valley. Tarzan spent the day reconnoitering outside the palace grounds, seeking an opportunity of gaining entrance without detection, but this he found impossible, inasmuch as there was never a moment that there was not Golmangani or Bolgani in the outer garden. But with the approach of darkness, the great east gate was closed, and the inmates of the huts and palace withdrew within their walls, leaving not even a single sentinel without, a fact that indicated clearly that the Bogani had no reason to apprehend an attack. The subjection of the Gomangani, then, was apparently complete, and so the towering wall surrounding the palace, which was more than sufficient to protect them from the inroads of lions, was but the reminder of an ancient day when a once powerful but now vanished enemy threatened their peace and safety. When darkness had finally settled, Tarzan approached the gate, and throwing the noose of his grass rope over one of the carved lions that capped the gate-posts, ascended quickly to the summit of the wall, from where he dropped lightly into the garden below. To ensure an avenue for quick escape in the event that he found law, he unlatched the heavy gates and swung them open. Then he crept stealthily toward the ivy-covered east tower, which he had chosen after a day of investigation as offering easiest ingress to the palace. The success of his plan hinged largely upon the age and strength of the ivy which grew almost to the summit of the tower, and... To his immense relief, he found that it would easily support his weight. Far above the ground, near the summit of the tower, he had seen from the trees surrounding the palace an open window, which, unlike the balance of those in this part of the palace, was without bars. Dim light shone from several of the tower windows, as from those of the other parts of the palace. Avoiding these lighted apertures, Tarzan ascended quickly, though carefully, toward the unbarred window above, and as he reached it and cautiously raised his eyes above the level of the sill, he was delighted to find that it opened into an unlighted chamber, the interior of which, however, was so shrouded in darkness that he could discern nothing within. Drawing himself carefully to the level of the sill, he crept quietly into the apartment beyond. Groping through the blackness, he cautiously made the rounds of the room, which he found to contain a carved bedstead of peculiar design, a table, and a couple of benches. Upon the bedstead were stuffs of woven material, thrown over the softly tanned pelts of antelopes and leopards. Opposite the window through which he had entered was a closed door, this he opened slowly and silently, until, through a tiny aperture, he could look out upon a dimly lighted corridor or circular hallway, in the center of which was an opening about four feet in diameter, 
passing through which and disappearing beyond a similar opening in the ceiling directly above was a straight pole with short cross pieces fastened to it at intervals of about a foot quite evidently the primitive staircase which gave communication between the various floors of the tower three upright columns set at equal intervals about the circumference of the circular opening in the centre of the floor helped to support the ceiling above around the outside of the circular hallway there were other doors similar to that opening into the apartment in which he was hearing no noise and seeing no evidence of another than himself tarzan opened the door and stepped into the hallway his nostrils were now assailed strongly by the same heavy fragrance of incense that had first greeted him upon his approach to the palace several days before in the interior of the tower however it was much more powerful practically obliterating all other odors and placing upon the ape-man an almost prohibitive handicap in his search for law in fact as he viewed the doors upon this single stage of the tower he was filled with consternation at the prospect of the well-nigh impossible task that confronted him to search this great tower alone without any assistance whatever from his keen sense of scent seemed impossible of accomplishment if he were to take even the most ordinary precautions against detection the ape-man's self-confidence was in no measure blundering egotism knowing his limitations he knew that he would have little or no chance against even a few bolgani were he to be discovered within their palace where all was familiar to them and strange to him behind him was the open window and the silent jungle night and freedom ahead danger predestined failure and quite likely death which should he choose for a moment he stood in silent thought and then raising his head and squaring his great shoulders he shook his black locks defiantly and stepped boldly toward the nearest door room after room he had investigated until he had made the entire circle of the landing but in so far as law or any clue to her were concerned his search was fruitless he found quaint furniture and rugs and tapestries and ornaments of gold and diamonds and in one dimly lighted chamber he came upon a sleeping bolgani but so silent were the movements of the ape-man that the sleeper slept on undisturbed even though tarzan passed entirely around his bed which was set in the centre of the chamber and investigated a curtained alcove beyond having completed the rounds on this floor tarzan determined to work upward first and then returning investigate the lower stages later pursuant to this plan therefore he ascended the strange stairway three landings he passed before he reached the upper floor of the tower circling each floor was a ring of doors each of which were closed while dimly lighting each landing were feebly burning cressets shallow golden bowls containing what appeared to be tallow in which floated a tow-like wick upon the upper landing there were but three doors all of which were closed the ceiling of this hallway was the dome-like roof of the tower in the centre of which was another circular opening through which the stairway protruded into the darkness of the night above as tarzan opened the door nearest him it creaked upon its hinges giving forth the first audible sound that had resulted from his investigations up to this point the interior of the apartment before him was unlighted and as tarzan stood there in the entrance in statuesque silence for a few seconds following the creaking of the hinge he was suddenly aware of movement of the faintest shadow of a sound behind him wheeling quickly he saw the figure of a man standing in an open doorway upon the opposite side of the landing End of chapter